0: Welcome to Ivy League Murders, where we deep dive on cases related to academia. My name is Sarah Alcorn, I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator.
1: My name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald, I'm a University of Miami grad, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family.
0: Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. In Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. So Laura, you're really up and going this morning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I need more coffee. <laughs> I have become like the dreaded morning person I always hated. <laughs> it's terrible. It's a curse of old age, I think. So now I'm up at like five in the morning, like ready to go. I used to go to bed at five in the morning.
0: Oh yeah. So today we're talking about Raphael Robb, who was a upenn economics professor and i got to look into game theory which i didn't I kind of vaguely knew what it was and i literally had to look
1: at like game theory for dummies. Well, and that's why we keep you around Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I focused on other aspects of the case that didn't involve having to... You having sure to... did.
0: I'm not bragging, but I think we've kind of gone deeper on this case than anyone I, I've seen out there. Because of you, Laura, you pulled all this information together. Hannibal on blown way interesting,
1: okay It's a pretty interesting case.
0: You're a damn good podcast wife,
1: <laughs> I gotta tell you. <laughs> Toe in the line. Toe That's in the right. line. Well, I, I have to I have to perform. Who knows what will if I
0: don't? Oh,
1: my God. So
0: let's get going. This is Raphael Robb, and this is a UPenn case. So, you know, in a typical year, thousands of students flocked to UPenn knowing that they were going to be taught by the best of the best. If you were a UPenn student in one of Raphael Robb's econ classes in the 90s, you would have felt like the chosen. He was a world renowned expert on game theory. Theory. What no one suspected was he used his strategy skills to kill his wife and then game the legal system. As part of Ivy League Murders, we like to go into the institutions that we cover. So this week it's University of Pennsylvania, or UPenn, and that was founded by Benjamin Franklin. I
1: know, so cool, love
0: Benjamin I know, me too, he's so Mr. Pennsylvania. He really really is. (laughs) Um, And so he was also the first president, and that was in 1740. So a couple of fun facts about UPenn is that for years, Penn's motto was basically trying to say like, laws without morals are useless but it had been reduced down to the saying sine moribus vane that was their motto for about 150 years until somebody pointed out that that basically meant loose women without morals (laughs) (laughs) but i do think it's interesting for this case that it's basically like laws that are not doing any good are, right. are, are useless and they, so then they fixed relevant.
1: it, right? And what did they? What did
0: they? They went back to the original. To the original. They, they fixed it. They went back to the original. I kind of prefer yeah.
1: the loose women have no morals. Yeah, I, I, in women want me too. yeah, in too. that's true. <laughs> I well. I well, think, I didn't have a lot more Yeah, I think shoot. we can
0: both yeah. I'll, I'll I'll plead the fifth on that yeah. I'll plead the fifth on that Laura, so tell us about the little toast tradition at UPenn too Well, during
1: Prohibition when there was no alcohol the UPenn fight song says, let's toast UPenn but when there was no alcohol in protest the students actually toasted UPenn by throwing toast on the field And, and they
0: still do it to and this, this And
1: this tradition has upheld to this day so when they sing this song and when the word Words, Come, let's toast UPenn. They throw the toast on the field. That's right. I actually kind of like this tradition. I'm sure it's a mess to clean up, but it's kind of funny.
0: Oh, I know. I was just thinking Yeah. That too. So, UPenn students are called, and, and alumni are called Quakers. Mm-hmm. And so, among their alumni is Donald Trump. Yes. Noam Chomsky, who's the famous linguist. Tori Birch. Yes. The, the designer. The
1: designer. Yeah.
0: And you have a special place in your heart for the next. Alum. Well, for
1: known outlaw Doc Holliday, I just found it shocking that he was an Ivy Leaguer. I mean, Tombstone, Doc Holliday, he's, he's just an outlaw. So that was very cool. That was a cool discovery, finding Absolutely. out he was an Ivy Leaguer. So.
0: And the poet Ezra Pound
1: also yeah. went
0: to UPenn. So a lot of, you know, like many of our institutions, the, the alumni are quite Impressive. interesting.
1: Impressive, yeah. Yeah. yeah, surprising,
0: yes. So Raphael Robb was a professor at UPenn in economics, but In and his specialty was game theory, and he was literally in like the top five percent of the world in terms of being an expert on game theory. Still is, actually, Sarah. True, but you know, (laughs) that the the, and we'll go a little bit, we'll we'll go into game theory a little bit deeper further on in the podcast. So, Raphael Robb was born in 1950 in Israel. Both of his parents were Holocaust survivors, and his father ran a tailoring shop. And his father really urged his son to get a good education and being Holocaust survivors they also taught him to abhor violence. Basically. I know. Which
1: I think is you know, think is really interesting. And he actually attended the Hebrew university which they call the Harvard of Israel.
0: This is Rob, you mean. Yes. And and I think he majored in
1: economics and math. He did. Yeah. And then he eventually immigrates to the United States to get his master's and PhD in, at UCLA. And that's how he winds up in the United States. And then in 1984, he joins the faculty at U Penn. And I mean, that's a very prestigious job.
0: And he's sort of on a tenure track at this point. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and he meets Ellen Gregory in 1987 on a dating site, I guess. And then they get married in 1990.
1: Yeah, and let's talk a little about about Ellen.
0: Yes, so Ellen's, Ellen's background, and we mostly glean this from her brothers, is that she was, her father had died. So it was basically, it had left her mother to raise this whole
1: family. Right, three, so her and two brothers.
0: Her and two brothers. So Ellen was the older brother, too, and she really sort of was like a second mother. Yes. And I mean, yeah. she... Came from humble beginnings. She worked three jobs in college
1: to send money back to like to support her family. To help them go to college. To help her help support her brothers and their education and I think her brothers
0: looked at her very much like a second mom. I I
1: think so. I really do. And I think when she meets Rob, he's charismatic, he's taking her to great restaurants. Initially. Initially he's buying her nice gifts. He's he's successful, he drives a fancy car. So he's really quite.
0: He kind of dazzles her. He right? dazzles I, I her. get the feeling he's sort of
1: dazzled. Her, yeah, I think know? so too. Like, you know,
0: at UPenn, professor.
1: Right. And I think even though she does have some initial doubts about him, she kind of overlooks them, thinking this is going to be a great lifestyle and traveling and being married. You know, she wants to be married. She really wants to be a mother. That's something that's really important to her. And, you know, like many of us, you just kind of hope things are going to be great.
0: That's true, and I think for a time they lived in Israel, but also she was not Jewish, so I think Rob's family, like At least his father was not into the idea of his son not marrying a Jewish girl, basically.
1: And what we see over time is that Rob is increasingly controlling. He keeps the finances separate. He controls the money and he makes all the money. They eventually have a daughter, Olivia, and she stays home, but he's controlling everything. Yes. And she starts to develop some, maybe some, like some mental illness. and some emotional problems and maybe as a result of this type of abuse and control and she starts to hoard
0: yes and she started and also although it's questionable it's questionable
1: right. whether it was all her. Right. I, I think right. that it, we could say that. but
0: And I think a lot of their marital problems, his abuse, and she would tell people, oh, no, it's only verbal, which is awful to be subject to right. verbal abuse. But later on, it, it sort of came out that she was actually suffering from physical abuse. So finally, she had had enough. And this was 2006 and she calls her brother and says, I've had enough. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving him and I'm worried though. I don't have the money for a lawyer and her brother, his name is Gary Gregory, right?
1: Right. And he He, actually lives in Boston
0: and he lives in Boston. And he said, look, I'll take care of the attorney. Get out of there. He had originally called Raphael Rafi and he originally had kind of liked him. And then as time went on, he just realized that his sister was in like a completely toxic relationship.
1: Oh, yeah, and she had seen a divorce attorney, and she was expecting, I guess the attorney had told her she could expect about $4,000 a month over 15 years, that's $600,000. So she very much had her exit plan
0: in place. In place. She had
1: looked at an apartment, and which was 1500 I mean, she really had an exit. She was planning to leave after the holidays. She, she was. And so the cut to, this is right before Christmas in 2006. And she was going to go up to, her brother was going to pick her up, take her up to Boston for the holidays. And well, upon her return, she would leave.
0: So it was December 22nd of 2006, and the Marion police w- received a call at 1.45 p.m. So the accented men on the line said he had found his wife dead. She'd been killed, he told the police. How do you know, they asked him, because her head is cracked open. Yeah, said. that's
1: exactly what he said.
0: So when the police responded to the quiet suburban house, Raphael Rob solemnly ushered them in they found ellen rob at her dining room table it appeared she had been wrapping holiday gifts they initially thought she had suffered a shotgun blast to her face her face was literally concaved in there was a bowl of blood where her face was there was blood everywhere and one of the detectives said it was the most horrendous scene he'd ever encountered in his 20 year career laura yeah terrible you know, i know. mean
1: she was complete overkill
0: yeah. So as the police were processing this devastating scene, the Rob's 12-year-old daughter, Olivia, pulled up in a school bus to her house. And imagine your daughter pulling up. There's police cars everywhere. There's yellow tape everywhere. Horrifying, and, and horrifying. And so she's quickly ushered to a, a neighbor's house. And at the same time, if you remember, Ellen's brother, Gary Gregory, was coming to pick Ellen and Olivia up to take them to Boston for the holidays. yes. Right? And then he was devastated to learn about his sister's murder.
1: Right, so they all kind of emerge on this crime scene at once. Yeah,
0: then the police are processing the scene and they find signs of a break-in. A back window had been broken, but fairly
1: quickly, the police became suspicious. And so, what were the big things that? Well, I think one of the biggest things was the dog. Normally, in a crime scene like this, you'd see the the dog covered in blood. The dog would go to the
0: owner, owner, they would track the blood, they
1: would track the blood, but the dog was locked away in a bedroom. So that was a big. Big piece of evidence that I mean that's not something you know uh, somebody who res- doesn't break into your house and put your dog in the bedroom right. before they murder you. So that was that was a big one, and the the shatters of glass from the back window were just completely. As they had fallen, they hadn't been stepped on. It looked staged to them. It, no.
0: I was thinking about the glass, actually. Not only did it not look stepped on, and you have to, you would have to see crime scene photos. If somebody had broken in, they would presumably exit out of the same door. They're not right. going to go out the front door. That right. doesn't make any sense. It wouldn't be in neat shards. As they open the door, they're going to disturb the glass as they exit as well. Because I, would, I kept thinking in my mind, I was like, what is up with this glass thing? But it, without looking at the crime scene photos, it's
1: hard to know. Right. But... There's also a lack of blood evidence because you're they, they only see footprints just a little bit around the body, but they're not leading completely out, out of the house. Right. As, as it, well, you would expect. They're not leading upstairs. There's no blood in the shower. Right. So it's like what's happening you have this really this crime scene that just kind of begins and ends inside the house
0: it's true and uh, there's no blood in the drains there's no, no it's very and we'll, contained it's, it's very, very contained, contained. And, and we'll we'll speak a little bit more in detail about the blood evidence because it is relevant but in more detail later on in the podcast. right
1: and these are the things that alert the police right away so suspicion falls on him immediately and he's his affect is off. I think his affect was generally off, but his affect was off. He was cooperative initially. But the police had their eye on him right away. Yeah, they did. I they mean, did. right away. But
0: I, I think also the things he says, how when he comes back, so when the police say, okay, so where were you during right. this period? He accounts
1: for his time. His alibi is a little bit too good.
0: His alibi is a little bit too good. He appears in a convenience store camera drinking a soda. An like,
1: entire soda. He stands in front of the camera, like drinking the soda. So as, as like he's trying to be seen by the surveillance.
0: Right. And part of his like he went to UPenn to drop off grades. He's really kind of fixing his alibi for that time period, because basically what he says is like, hey, I left at 830. My daughter hopped on the bus or, you know, we got the daughter, or his daughter to school. I think he actually said he drove his daughter to school and then he had this whole big day. But there were
1: gaps in his alibi. Right. There were gaps in his yeah. alibi. And I mean. It,
0: it, and it's clear where he is alibi. He's really trying to like, he's very ostentatiously putting himself in front of cameras to appear that he's not home.
1: Right so this 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 falls apart pretty quickly. Now he he does attend his wife's funeral
0: but the detail that really gave me shivers he kind of steps in as a pallbearer. Yeah that's so we will we'll post but that but picture online on our facebook. He group. steps in as a pallbearer and has a cup of to go coffee in his other hand oh my god that's just the the
1: disrespect and he didn't even wear a black suit he wore like a cardigan
0: right like cash clothes casual yeah he was like
1: business casual right at the funeral
0: why are these (laughs) super smart professors and doctors why are they such bad murderers you know
1: i do they like they're so because they they think they have they have no game when it comes to
0: murder planning
1: (laughs) And they think they're smarter than everyone else. Rob used to say to people when they would ask him about his job, well, I would explain it to you, but you wouldn't understand. And I think that they think they're smarter than everyone. They Does greatly this... underestimate police. They oh, think, yeah, oh, that,
0: like I... blue-collar blue blue call... dummies. You know, right. They'll and, never figure this out. Right.
1: Clearly untrue. Right. Because, as we know, there are so many brilliant police officers who get these guys time and time again. And are some of these cops are psychological masters at getting these these guys and they're actually very ill-equipped once most of them face interrogation.
0: Okay so Rob is arrested January 8th of 2006 so this is mere weeks after the murder it's like two weeks after the murder. Right and
1: he's arrested on first degree murder. Yeah, Exactly. I mean that's and I think first and third you know which is not unusual, yeah. And he's he gets out on bail.
0: By the way, what's Rob's financial situation at this point? Does anybody
1: know? I mean, we don't. I don't know. I don't know exactly. I know that he was probably making about two hundred thousand dollars a year, but as a tenured professor, but that's a guess. You're right, and, and it could have been much higher.
0: It's a little side of the point, but yeah. money money will become an issue later. Not, this, I mean,
1: yeah. he was comfortable, not a high net worth guy,
0: right? And so he hires an attorney, D. Simone, right?
1: Yes, he had, he hires Frank D. Simone as his attorney, and Bruce Castor is the prosecutor. And interestingly enough, Bruce Castor has never lost a case except for once, and that was to D. Simone.
0: That's right, and Castor is a real political peacock. He has all these political aspirations. And also you were saying this morning that he represents a what what did you call it? Main uh, Main
1: Street. You always have the dope on stuff. You know? Uh main line, main line Philadelphia, which is actually was named after it was part of the railroad, the mainline part of the railroad in the eighteen hundreds, and this is where the old money established their mansions at the time. And it's kinda
0: of like the Beverly Hills. Yeah, uh, philly right or right it is yes. but
1: it's not i mean mainline is more of a term we use to refer to that area it's an area um, of a section of philadelphia of certain towns it's
0: very wealthy very, very wealthy
1: very upscale yeah. so you know castor has a lot of high profile cases he really seems to bask in that actually the case that he did lose to De Simone was a, a big, high-profile kind of sexy murder case of which one? Of, which of, one was of, it? Of, of the Swineheart case. It's not a, a case that everyone would know about, but it was a spousal murder, and they say that Castro kept this picture of. Um, I, I have to. I office. have to.
0: I just as an aside, I have to say that I pride myself on my crime knowledge, and I have to say that Laura constantly shames me (laughs) with her encyclopedic knowledge of crime here. So that's just a lot
1: of research. So Castor is the prosecutor and yeah, he, he has a lot of high profile cases. He's looking to run for a county commissioner. So this is a guy with big aspirations. With big
0: aspirations. And so the Rob case on the face of it, Laura, you would think open and shut case of first degree murder
1: you would think but castor kind of approaches this from day one even at the crime scene as a rage killing and he says right away that i think this is a rage killing and that makes it a manslaughter case and this is kind of or
0: he's amenable to that plea basically right i think that's a in terms of we don't know what's what's in castor's mind but in looking at this case it seems like he just kind of wanted to Put another notch on his belt and move on. And we want to be careful, like, again, but in looking at this case, it is they they had a bunch of circumstantial evidence.
1: Strong, strong circumstantial evidence. Some evidence, and we'll, we'll touch on this in, in a little bit later, some evidence that didn't even come in.
0: Did not come until, until the civil proceeding. Right.
1: I think he just wanted to kind of, I don't think he wanted to go to trial. I think he just kind of, you know. This is Caster. Caster. Yeah. It was circumstantial there. They didn't have a weapon. They didn't have the blood evidence. So I think he preferred to have a conviction rather than... Like a quicker conviction, let's get it done, rather than... Risk and acquittal.
0: Risk and acquittal on a first degree. So they accept... A plea for not involuntary manslaughter, voluntary manslaughter. So involuntary manslaughter is, Laura, I go out in my car and I hit you in my car and I kill you. That's involuntary. I didn't have any intention. Right. Voluntary manslaughter is, in the case of something like a rage killing, is basically you kind of you lose it, and that's exactly what Rob said when he finally pleads to voluntary manslaughter that's exactly the quote he uses. I lost it. He said I was provoked, which was an interesting that that she pushed me. We were in an argument about divorce and about Olivia. And meanwhile, just so you know, he had always threatened to take Olivia to Israel and to basically flee the country with Olivia, their 12-year-old daughter.
1: One of the problems I have with this plea is that it really almost accepts that the crime is a result of serious provocation. That's right. So it kind of puts the onus on the victim, like she provoked this assault,
0: yes that's exactly and, right and what, so and so what Rob says is he grabs this grip bar and beats her with it right
1: and his story makes no sense can we talk about the cleanup and all this stuff he says he like tiptoes upstairs and then cleans himself off with like wipes and then puts them in garbage bags he has in his bedroom and that's right. why there's and no disposes, blood And like
0: it. and disposes right. of the
1: grip bar like in, in a this trash this in, without so. leaving any blood tracks this makes no sense mm-hmm. but the this is what Judge Tressler accepts and G. Simone convinces Rob isn't initially hesitant about taking a play but he studies game theory and I think he probably goes over all the possible scenarios in his head because that's what game theory is you're figuring out well let's talk
0: a little bit about game theory okay let's you know? talk about it
1: so game
0: theory like I said I had to look up like game theory for dummies so I don't think University of Pennsylvania is going to be calling me to, to you know <laughs> lead any of their classes here Laura but my understanding of game theory is basically it's a decision tree that you have all these possible outcomes and I think poker and it is actually used in games and there's different models that you can look up like there's the prisoners quandary you know if you have two prisoners and three possible outcomes what each one like whether both will confess then they get certain amount of time if one confesses and the other one denies if they both deny it's all the different outcomes that two or more people can make to lead to certain conclusions so somebody who's really good at game theory is going to know given the decision that's made what are the possible outcomes and has already thought about that almost in a mathematical way what the best next decision to make so this is the defendant that you're dealing with with Raphael. Right, and i think he's a top expert in this stuff and i definitely think he used that very much in the kind of like almost a legal chess game oh, in, def- in these definitely. Whole proceedings.
1: And then Judge Tressler, I think the sentencing guidelines are, you know, five years to 20 years. For away, voluntary men. Five to either. 25. Five to 10 years. Five to 10 years. I think he could have given him more than 10. Possibly. Poss- we'll, yeah. We'll I, yeah. I that. know. I think the minimum. And he... Judge Tressler accepts 10 years which is like an absolute slap in the face to the family to
0: remember Gary Gregory and her family Ellen Ellen Robb's family is absolutely pushing and kind of outraged that this occurs because he is pleased to this he gets 10 years for voluntary manslaughter which they
1: didn't expect upon accepting this plea he I mean the judge could have given him five years I mean he cites his manipulation as going to the higher end of the sentence. And yeah, the family is just, I mean, they're just enraged, they're mortified, they're mad, and it's just my opinion that Pastor kind of dropped the ball here in the charging of Rob. And he basically gets a very, very light sentence. And after five years, he's almost released, if not for the family's aggressive... Because he keeps every year he goes up
0: for parole. Right. Claiming, like, I'm not a violent person. I just, you know, was a fit of rage.
1: He's trying to get out on parole. Right. And he's actually parole. he's, He's set for parole after five years. And then the family has it rescinded. Right. The next significant thing that happens is the family decides the best way to really hurt Raphael Rob is to get him in the pocketbook. And to go after his assets and his pension and to really make him suffer. Otherwise, he's going to get out of prison after 10 years and just resume this normal, comfortable lifestyle. And Ellen is dead. And Olivia has no mother. And so what they do is they file a civil suit against him Mm -hmm.
0: it's very analogous to me to like the oj simpson case like Mm -hmm. oj got off on the actual murder charges and in some ways rob did too yes he did a much lighter sentence he should have been sentenced for first degree murder no doubt so it's very analogous to the oj simpson where the family the simpson family and the goldman family went after simpson even though he was found, quote, not guilty in a criminal case. Right. So they
1: went after him civilly. And so basically then the whole case gets retried with a lower preponderance in guilt. And so the case then gets basically retried in front of a civil jury. And a lot more evidence comes out, Sarah. What comes out?
0: Well, the big thing for me, Laura, is they had found, like, shame on the prosecution. I'm sorry. But they had found a Tyvex suit. In the back of Rob's car. Now, this is one of these. Imagine one of these, like big, like painting suits, like almost like a hazmat suit, um, and face masks. They had found these in the back. Of Rob's car. And the theory was that this was a double. He had worn something like this in Ellen's murder so that he would not get blood spatter on him, so he would protect his clothing. That's a big thing. That's like a flag. game
1: changer to right, me. Right. I mean, if he had that hazmat suit on, the blood evidence now all makes sense. He puts that on in the garage, he comes into the house commits the murder, takes it off, and that's why you have a totally contained crime scene.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. But that was not presented to a jury during his criminal trial. And
1: Castor never entered it in, into... Well, there was no jury because it was pled out, but Castor never made a big deal of that, never made a big deal about the dog. I'm just so mad at Castor, but... And, and Castor kind of makes Ellen
0: seem like, oh, she was a hoarder. I mean, he says some horrible things about, he like... He says,
1: I couldn't have... The house was a mess. I couldn't live that way. He puts, like, the, the guilt on both of them. But let's he,
0: talk about that hoarding. We don't have pictures of the crime well, scene. Well, I want but... to just
1: talk about the fact that in the civil trial, they bring in domestic abuse experts who testify that under severe domestic abuse and stress, that people develop mental illness. And,
0: and hoarding is kind of a manifestation of mental exactly. illness. Exactly. Exactly. And that
1: what you know. people, you know, what wasn't brought up in, in earlier, but we did get brought up then was that you know, she seemed to be somewhat uplifted once she had a plan to move out from Rob. You're right. So this stuff, you know, may have been all been a result of, I mean, when you're dealing with the kind of abuse she was dealing with, I mean, they said she used to like clean the bathrooms and then he would urinate in the sink. I right. mean, this is the type too. of stuff she was dealing with. You oh, would develop. I mean, anyone I think could develop psychological problems, and and it, but he would also he was very demeaning. He would call her shit for brains or something. like Right that in that front or, of like you know, people heard him calling her these things. So I think that in the civil trial, it was handled much differently. She she was treated as a victim, right, which is what she was a victim. She wasn't part of this crime. She was innocently wrapping Christmas presents. She wanted to leave. She wanted to leave. She and had a she plan. she was violently attacked. A jury does, you know, agree and awards $124 million, the largest civil award ever given in Pennsylvania. Mm. Now we know that those type of enormous, I mean, unless it's against a corporation, they're never going to get that kind of money. But they do eventually get three quarters of his pension. Right. And his assets
0: for his daughter Olivia. For his daughter, life.
1: right? And and believe me, this does hurt him. I mean, he is released from prison in 2017, and he is haunted by this civil suit because any any money he makes, he has to. It's give all a, garnished. Garnished. Yeah, Seventy-five yeah. percent of his assets go to the civil case. This was really a way for the family to get some justice for Alan. The family has done so many other amazing things. They start something called Allen's Law, which allows families to testify at parole boards.
0: But part of what came under the microscope for me, too, was that all the loopholes in Pennsylvania law with this case. I mean, basically, there was a time when he was out on parole. He was supposed to show up for a hearing in one in the civil suit against him. And he had plans to go to Israel. He could have totally fled, and they didn't have to tell the victim's family that he had plans to travel. It, it just seems like Ellen and her side of the family just continuously kind of victimized by...
1: They are, but they've really turned it all. They've taken it, and they've turned it all into really, really positive things. I mean, they started every great reason which is, we're going to put a link on our Facebook Absolutely. page, which is EGR Ellen Gregory Rob, which is, you know, helps women who are in domestic violence situations, it's a non I just want to mention too, that for a very long time, and this is what had come
0: out in the civil suit as well, for a very long time, Ellen had sort of been reclusive and had only told people, oh, it's only verbal, verbal abuse. Right. abuse is bad it's enough. It's abuse, yes. You know, and the civil suit showed that she had had a black eye at a certain point, that there was physical stuff going on with Raphael Robb.
1: I just think her brothers are amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I what, do too. what they've done with her legacy. I mean, they've turned this tragedy into a legacy. I was on their website um, earlier and I'm going to just share it everywhere because I just think it's so beautiful to take a tragedy like that and turn it into helping others.
0: Absolutely. How easy would it be to go
1: negative when something like that happens? I, I, I really think it's I mean, like uh, a strength of character. The, kind of right. Thing. I mean... I don't know. I don't know how it's unbelievable to me. And I just think it's beautiful. And we'll share that. And anyone who wants to maybe contribute a few dollars to them and help out domestic violence victims. uh, We're going to do that. And
0: Uh, we've mentioned this before on our podcast, too. There are during this pandemic, too. I think people, I think particularly women are vulnerable if they are in an abusive situation. And they're stuck with a partner who is like that for either financial reasons or just purely for kids, it's terrible. So really having a lot of awareness about that right now is super important. Super
1: important. And I just want to say, because I'm just really kind of not Team Castor, and I think his motives were all wrong in this case, but he had failed to prosecute Cosby and one of the earlier victims. And so years later, he eventually becomes attorney general, and he eventually runs for DA, and he loses and he loses because of two cases that come back to haunt him and that is the Raphael Robb case and the Bill Cosby case Mm. so karma's a bitch
0: but speaking of good karma, we wanted to say thank you to the lovely Catherine R. for her contribution.
1: Yes, and her company and her the company last weekend. Is. She's so fabulous. Yep, she sure is. And her friend Roddy was with her, oh, is, oh, and fabulous. Love new friend. Roddy. <laughs> but I have to also talk about our friend Grace, who's a really great friend of the show. And she introduced me to Beauty Counter Makeup, which I'm currently super obsessed with
0: oh my god I mean I don't like
1: like endorsing things but you know like me I'm I have to have foundation it's like the obsession and I've tried every foundation on demand at every price point
0: I cannot even tell you I love the way the way the foundation feels it's totally like wipes like 10 years off your face. Right, but you know me,
1: Sarah. I couldn't stop the foundation. Oh, I, no, no, know? no. Yeah. So I had to get, like, the highlighter for my eyes, then the body bronzer, then the highlighter. And... No,
0: she's got wonderful stuff. So now Beauty just, counter is fantastic. It's amazing. And yep. it's like an
1: app, and you can just, like hold it up to your skin to match it which yes is like that's amazing right. especially now that you can't like go try makeup on like who would want to with covid right so it's super fabulous i think everyone should check it out and text i mean i'm really super picky about
0: foundation like i hate cakey stuff i don't like it i like something that just goes on really super smooth and the color matching is matching's
1: like amazing
0: the color matching is incredible so now i just order and my- and it is all different shades from very, very fair to very dark. Exactly. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, you know,
1: it's great. I, I love Actually, that. Actually, they just, they're Because they um, beauty Sephora comes now. in all shades. That's right. Okay. <laughs> and they're in Sephora now. That's right. Good, and in good for you, now. Grace. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we, maybe we'll put something up on our page. So if anyone wants to buy, they buy through Grace and get a little discount. But it's just fabulous. We also want to, um, we want to do a shout out to our assistant, Christy, who is our researcher and who's like super fabulous. I can't, I don't even know how we did this episode without like tons of help from her. Yeah, that's right. Because she like does everything. And she's said she's not feeling well. Yeah, and so get better, get better, get better. Christy, because like we like really need we you. We really need like, you. We've been like really having a hard <laughs> time without we you. We keep on
0: saying like, "Where's Christy?" Like we we were really we weren't struggling with Rob, but we were kind of like it. We didn't. You kind of went next level on it. I gotta say,
1: you went to Christy land. Uh, yeah, on I know, this, but, but I still but need Christy on the promo. Yeah, so, so get so better, Lysine. Well, we care about you, but we also really need you. Yes, yeah, so
0: that's right. Vitamin C. But you know, and we want to
1: give a shout out to our music man Russell J for who's getting a new puppy oh, so when we when he does god. we're gonna post pictures because uh, if he wasn't
0: like, if he wasn't a chick magnet before this oh my omg with this puppy he, you're he's just gonna have to be like fighting the girls off. we have to
1: give a visual I mean he's yeah. he's six nine yeah that's right really handsome six nine and maybe I'll be able to convince him to take a picture with the puppy and put it up on our page god so but watch, um, watch out girls But, you know, and thanks everyone for listening to us for another week, for supporting us. We're like so excited about everything. People are are participating in our Facebook group. Keep doing that post anything you want. Like if you want to contribute, we love contributing.
0: And and not only that, just from a purely financial point of view, we are really trying to up our game here and get to... You know, being able to get episodes out weekly, but we need your help. And if you can go on our website,
1: we're going to post on on our Facebook group. We now have a one time donation link, which is great. So you know, right about you Patreon can, and right. monthlies, and there's no minimum. You know, five dollars is you know a contribution.
0: But if you want to contribute five hundred, that's fine too. And yeah. it's Clover Crest <laughs> Media. Our, right. our web pages is on I right. The Clover Ivy League Crest. is
1: expensive, Sarah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> But before we end this episode, I just we want to play the trailer for like one of my other new obsessions. So it's like you know me; it's like handbags, makeup, and uh, podcasts. Oh, and um, it's the Student Verdict. Our friend Emily from across the pond. I mean, this is a, like if you like a true crime podcast, this is it's like, so
0: British and so good, so fabulous. And, yeah,
1: I've been binging. I've been totally binging. So definitely check out the Student Verdict. Emily, she's based in the UK. So amazing, and check out her trailer here we will you'll hear from us next week that's right and or, or perhaps in two weeks exactly and in the pipe we've got
0: a couple of really good cases some really
1: exciting cases one and we have one hometown interesting collaborative case where we're going to be we're going to be doing we'll, we'll put some teasers out shortly but a lot of exciting things coming up hi everyone it's emily from the students verdict podcast We're a new bi-weekly podcast covering true crime cases, some you might not have heard of. So far, we've covered cases such as The Monster of Worcester and The Disappearance of Marlene Oakes. The Students' Verdict is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play and Spreaker. Also, find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and Facebook. And remember to keep living the dream.